Well, good morning, church. I said good morning, church. So good to see all of you in the room joining us online today. I think it's starting to feel like fall a little bit outside. Praise God. Thought it was never going to cool down. But it's football season, and uh, we won't talk about that today. We'll just leave it and let those that are brokenhearted be healed in the house of God. Hail State. I'm just, I didn't, I told myself I wasn't going to talk about football today. We're going to say we're focused on the Word of God. This is where we are. We're talking about Jesus today. But that was the greatest finish of a football game ever, somebody. Okay. Hook them horns. Okay, I'm done now, I promise. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Look at your neighbor and say, hook them horns. Okay, I'm done now for real. Okay, all right. <laughs> we just lost about 30% of our attendees today. All right. We're wrapping up a series entitled Grounded. I've really enjoyed this series. This has been a series that we have really focused on trying to move you in the direction of being rooted and being grounded in your faith. And we've taken this from Acts chapter number two, and we've been discussing the importance of being grounded. And so week number one, if you remember, we talked about being grounded in God's word. Uh, week number two, we talked about being grounded in God's spirit. Uh, we took a break. Pastor Joe Dobbins was here, and then we picked up in week number three of the series would be we talked about uh, being grounded in God's church. If you haven't heard that message, all of these I think would help you. Last week we specifically talked about church hurt, and I want to encourage you to go back and listen. And today we're going to talk about being grounded in God's, God's mission. Now this is the last week that you can sign up for our uh, text uh, devotionals that we've been sending out. This is the final week we'll be sending them out. We're going to take a break and maybe revisit it again at some point. But uh, if you want to be a part of that, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you are receiving uh, video messages about today's service from me or some of the pastors, and we're just uh, going a little further in deep teaching in addition to what you're hearing today. So if you want to do that, you can sign up and do that uh, to receive those text devotionals. Now, like I said, we're talking through just a few passages in the book of Acts. And if you want to take a look at this, the book of Acts is not only documentation of the history of the church, but it is, it is also a blueprint for the church today. Can I get a big amen? Acts chapter number two says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That was week number one. We talked about being devoted and grounded in the word of God. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is where we discussed being grounded in the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And all who believed were together in all things in common. Now, we talked about being together, that being the local church. We talked about that last week. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
So this is the context. Jesus has ascended. His apostles have been sent out. People are being added to the church. And if you read it, it says that they believed. After that, they were baptized. And then they joined together. They studied the word. They worshiped in the temple. From house to house, they went to small groups. They prayed. They ate food, praised God. And they were generous. They were, they were generous. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. These verses are communicating, not necessarily communal living, but it is communicating that they were so touched deeply by God that generosity came naturally. Let, let me show you this. Generosity, if you want to look at this, write this down, has been a key cornerstone in the life of believers since the birth of the church. Historically, listen to this, the church, God's plan A to save the world, has been on the leading edge of building and supporting orphanages, hospitals, universities, homeless shelters, recovery programs. In fact, 73% 73, 73 of American giving goes to or through religious-related organizations. Religious people are more generous than non-believers when it comes to giving to charity, according to research compiled by the BBC. Christians have been known for their selflessness, our serving, and our generosity since the church has started. Are you still with me? In fact, Jesus said that if you're my disciple, they will know you by your love. They'll know you by your selflessness, your others-focused mentality. You'll be known for your generosity because for God so loved he. You are never more like God than when you give. The first century churches, church were so radically generous with their time, their talent, their treasure for the cause of Christ. Now let me start and pause for a moment. I realize that immediately when you start talking about money in church, somebody's gonna get uncomfortable, somebody's not gonna like it, somebody's gonna assume that the church is defaulting, People are going to think and, and they're going to get uncomfortable. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody walked out today. Just being honest. I bet there are people who have already begun to log out like, oh, no, let's go see what Stephen Furtick's up to today. <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to listen. I want you to listen for a moment. We don't teach on money because we need it. Can I tell you, God has been so faithful to, to vibrant church that all our bills are paid. Our salaries are good. Our, we have insurance for all of our employees. We are in a good place, the strongest we've been in a long time, according to our CPA, Pat Davidson. He said that he believes this is the strongest it's ever been in the history of our church. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. But it's important to understand that Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about anything else. More than prayer, more than heaven, more than hell. Jesus talked about it more, and I believe you need to hear this from my heart today. We teach this topic specifically 
Not because we want everything from you or anything from you. It's because we want everything for you. Just like I would teach you on prayer, I'll teach you about giving. Just like I would teach you about worship, I'll teach you about giving. Just how we'll teach you about being supportive of the brokenhearted people in our community and reaching out for them and evangelizing the community, I will also teach you about money and possessions. Why? Because Jesus taught on money and possessions. So if you hate me today, I'm in good company with Jesus. Is that okay? We're just talking, I'm just teaching the Bible. If you don't, I don't know what else to do with this other than to teach it to you. Is that okay? So here's, here's a, a big point. Our financial management is making a spiritual statement. Our financial management is making a spiritual statement. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number six, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus was simply saying this, if I follow your money, I'll find your heart. If I follow your money, I'll find your heart. Can I help you understand that money itself has a way of becoming our God? And why that is, is interesting. The reason money is the number one competitor uh, for our hearts is because it claims to do what only God can do, money. A few weeks ago, I just mentioned him a minute ago, and Pastor Dobbins was here. Uh, we were in the back talking, and he mentioned these things. I had to share them with you today, that money claims to be Claims to do what only God can do, and I'll, and I'll show you why. Number one, money, this is a lie people believe, money will make me secure. The core message of every financial advisor and retirement planner who are, there's some great people in this church that do that profession, we thank God for them. Uh, sometimes people will assume that there is an amount of money that can insulate you from what's ahead. So here's a question, what is that amount? What amount of money can guarantee that you never experience a negative thing, that you'll never experience a cancer diagnosis or head-on crash or a pandemic? In fact, I, I recently read that there was a man who, who won the lottery, won somewhere around the neighborhood of $314 million. How many of you feel the Holy Ghost when I said that? Well, what happened next was tragic. The, that over the next few years, he lost his marriage, he lost his daughter, he was in an accident, was robbed numerous times. And I guess the question is, was he really secure? I tell you, that to explain that $314 million still wasn't enough to bring security. You can, your security must be in something that cannot be taken away from you. If you put security in what can be taken from you, you're going to be insecure for the rest of your life. If you put your security in salary or jobs or positions or savings, all of those can, can be gone tomorrow. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that money is only enjoyable as long as you are confident that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Your confidence is in God. Your security is in who he is and not what money can do. Am I helping you today? 
That's, that's the first lie that people believe that, that money can do. Number two, money will give me identity. This says that your value and your significance comes from the money that you acquire. So a certain amount makes me, makes me a different individual in our society. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Notice Jesus is saying, be on guard. Because this is a life-threatening situation. You gotta be on guard. In 1929, the stock market crashed, and it was common at that time to see many people jumping out of skyscrapers, business owners taking their lives because they couldn't imagine the idea of not having something that distinguished them. Their confidence was in what they, what they had. Their identity was based on their savings or, or their networking or their, or their brand or their business at the moment that it was taken from them, they, they took their own lives. That's still prevalent today. That when the stock market starts to rock and people begin to lose finances or jobs, they, they, they're not as confident as they once was because their identity was based on their net worth. Insecurity is the product of finding our identity in anything other than God. Money can give a false identity because God gave you your identity in your mother's womb. So God gives you an identity Money comes in and makes you think that if I had more of it, then I would be secure. I would have distinguished identity within my community. And this idea that what I wear makes me distinguished, that my identity is based on the brand, my identity is based on, based on the, the label, the car I drive, the title I own, the memberships you have. And hear me, your self-worth is not based on your net worth. You are a child of God. You are the apple of his eye. You are the object of his affection. And it is better than anything that money can buy on this planet. Your identity is not wrapped up in money. Here's another lie people believe. Money will make me happy. Money will make me happy. That means that the people who had the most would be the happiest. <laughs> How many of you know that's not true? Some quotes I wanna read to you today. John Rockefeller, one of the first richest people in the United States, he said, I have made many millions, but they have not brought me any happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor, the first millionaire in the United States, says, I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said, I was happier when I was doing the mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie said that millionaires seldom smile. They each have discovered that they cannot buy love or eternal security or spiritual power, forgiveness, grace, rest, peace, joy, or hope only God can provide the true joy and happiness that money cannot buy. So money can't give me a sense of security. 
can't give us a sense of identity. It can't make us happy. Here's another thing that money claims to do, that God claims to do, that money will give me freedom. So many people believe that if they had just more money, they'll be able to do what they want, go where they want, and, and live where they want. And though that is true, money gives you a lot of options. But I've met a lot of rich people who are addicted. I've met a lot of rich people that are struggling with bitterness. I've met a lot of rich people with a bad attitude. I've met people who have a, have a great home, have, have, have a great job, but they have a wrecked up family. That money, they will be the first to tell you that money doesn't give me the true freedom. Money claims to solve all of our problems. Money claims to, to be this Jehovah Jireh. Money claims to be some savior. The truth is, like he said, you have to guard against believing that idea that money can do that for us. And so watch this. The Bible gives us an interesting prescription to help negate the idea how do we not allow money to control our lives? How do we not allow money to control our lives? And just so you can pause, I'm completely comfortable at this moment talking to you about this. There is nothing inside of me that's afraid because I know that if you will believe what I'm gonna teach you, it could change your life. The best way that money doesn't control you is if you can give it away. If you can give it away. Well, where does the Bible teach this, Pastor Ethan? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm coming for you. Malachi chapter number three, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Trust me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out much blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. And I wish I had an hour to talk right now. But here's what I want you to know. God set up a system called tithing. It does a couple of things, and I'll explain it in a moment. But there's some people in the room already probably thinking, Pastor Ethan, that's Old Covenant. That's Old Covenant. So we don't have to adhere to the Old Testament principles of tithing. We're now under the New Covenant. Okay. Did you know that thou shalt not commit adultery is also an Old Covenant? Did you know that thou shalt not have no other gods before me is also in the Old Covenant? This is what the Bible teaches, that we are redeemed from the curse of the law, but we are not redeemed from the blessing of the law. So if we adhere to the, the, the principles of the Old Testament, there's still blessing on them. That according to his word, he says, I'm going to go through it. He says, if you bring the tithe, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And watch what he says. He says, you got to bring it. You got to bring it. You got to bring it. You know, not one time in the entire Bible does the Bible say to pay your tithes. It says to bring your tithes. Let me pause here. Somebody's probably thinking, what is tithe? Tithe is 10% of your income that comes into your family, into your life. Here, here's, here's the idea. 10% to, to the house of God. I had a thought. I was going to get it. It was going to get you so good. Tithing is never taught to give. I remember it. You weren't taught to give. You're taught to bring it. Because according to the word of God, 10% of that money is not yours. 
So when you, the idea of paying tithe, the idea of paying it gives the idea that you have authority over it. But the scripture teaches that we bring it because it wasn't ours in the first place. Does that make sense? It's like one time I was in, I was in the drive-thru and I got my son a Happy Meal and I reached in the Happy Meal and I just grabbed a couple of fries and I put them in my mouth. And Judah said, wait a minute, Dad. Those are my fries. And I thought to myself, first off, I only took a couple. Second off, you wouldn't have any fries if it wasn't for me. Can I tell you today, that's what tithing is. It is giving to him what you wouldn't have if it wasn't for him. He says to bring your tithe to the house of God. So now, tithing is not a giving, it's a statement of faith. Statement of faith. Statement of faith. And when we, when we make this statement, I believe three powerful things happen when we believe God with our, our finances. Number one, tithing exercises my faith. Tithing exercises my faith. When you don't exercise your muscles, you will begin to suffer from, how do you, what do you call that? Atrophy. Become, you begin to lose strength, and if you don't exercise your faith, you'll suffer with, with doubt. Knowing this, that God has given us a regular practice of tithing. So if you're taking notes, inside of this point, there are three words I want you to write down. Tithing is three letters, three words, all start with the letter P, because preachers get extra points if they can get letters to Points to start with the same letter. Notice what he says. If we're going to tithe, it goes to a certain place. Scripture is clear that tithes belong to the local church that you eat from, that you go to, that serves your family. If you come to our church today, this you're a first-time visitor, you go to another church, we don't want your tithe. Please tithe to the church that you go to. That's scriptural. You go to the storehouse that you feed from. He says, so that there will be food in my house. There's nourishment. The, the needs are provided. God started the tithing system in the Old Testament so that the temple would be taken care of, so that it can reach the needs of the community. God had thought this up, and he says, bring it to the right place. Let me just stop. Some people think because they give to certain, to certain outreaches and they whatever that they're tithing. I'm not saying you're not generous. I'm just saying that's not what it says. It says it goes to the storehouse. It goes to the house of God. So not only a place, number two, a percentage. It says you should bring the full, notice that word, the whole 10%. When you hear that, immediately everybody in this room is like, I feel, I'm sick. Because many people can start doing the math right now and you're like, that's a car payment, Pastor Ethan. That's, that's an insurance plan. That's, that's a big, we could, we could get the boat or we could get the house. We're saving money for this and we're saving money for that. I'm just teaching the Bible. To give 10% would mean that you would have to totally rearrange your life. And that's the point. God made it at a point to where you and I just can't tip God on the way out. He, made, he didn't make it to where he could pull a 20 and be like, no, no, no. He made it to where you have to sit with your family budget and consider making God priority in your spending. He makes it to where you and I have to intentionally do it. So not only is there a place and percentage, 
Notice 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So the Bible teaches that we should be bringing the amount of money that's percentage-wise to our income to the house of God. Percentage, excuse me, place, percentage, number three, priority. This one is huge because you actually have to give the 10%. I don't believe it's even tithing if you do it last. I think it has to be first because it requires faith. If you do it last, there was no faith. But if you do it first, it requires an act of faith on your part to see the blessing of God in your life. I think God wants to know, do you really trust me? Some people could be asking, does God need 10%? Is he broke? I mean, does God really need my money, Pastor Ethan? God doesn't need your money, but he does need your heart. And if he's gonna get to your heart, I just read it, he's gotta get to your treasure. Am I helping you today? Tithing is not about money, it's about heart. And God knows that we spend 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, we invest, we do everything we can to get money to live, and there's nothing wrong with that. But God's gonna, God wants you to know that if you worked 40 hours and you tithed on the first four hours, you worked for the kingdom of God in a sense. You surrendered a portion of your time at the office or the, or the factory or in the field to the kingdom of God. And you say, God, I'm not going to go out and buy this first without putting you first. To seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his, his agenda, and all the things that I need, they'll be added if I make him first. Here's another thing. Not only is tithing exercising my faith, but tithing is an act of worship. Tithing is an act of worship. There's a reason we incorporate, incorporate giving in our services. Obviously, we want to meet the payments and bills and, 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 and things of that nature, but it's a part of worship. That's what they did in Acts chapter 2, that they were naturally so generous that the instinct inside of them that after they found Jesus, I want to give, I want to I go. I wanna. So when you think, when you see those giving boxes on the way out or you give online, can I tell you today, look at that like that's worship. God, this belongs to you. I honor you today. You're, you are first. You're not last. You're at the beginning of my life. And if I prioritize your life or you in my life, everything can change. Because your financial management is a spiritual statement. You know, I do find it interesting, and this is where I'm going to pastor for a moment. So if you're ready to leave, this would be the time to have to go to the bathroom. Pastor Tyson was just singing the song, I Surrender All. We all know that song. We all love that song. You know, statistically, most churches only have 20% of people who give to that local body. But everybody sings the same song in worship time. So is everybody really surrendering it all? John Wesley said that the wallet was the last thing to convert on a man. Are we really surrendering everything to God when we withhold our financial blessings, when we withhold giving financially? I want to challenge you to kind of lock this into your convictions. That this is a non-negotiable in your life. You know, for me and my wife, that's, that's a huge part of this. This is a non-negotiable. We have never sat down in the history of our marriage and talked about negotiating tithe. 
We've never sat there and said, you know what? Let's just, let's just, no one's gonna notice. Well, you don't tithe for people to notice. But God notices. And we need God's blessing and favor on our lives. We want, the, we want open doors. We want, his, he, we want his hand on us. And so we never, ever in the history of our marriage have said, we're just not gonna tithe. And every time my wife does it, every time we get paid, it's the first thing to go out, right? She's like, uh, don't talk to me. But that's what happens. <laughs> the first thing we do, because we want God to know you are number one. Because if it's the first, you will surrender Netflix if you have to. Because he's number one. You may have to surrender the trip. But you're gonna tell yourself and your family and your budget and your mind that as for me and my house, once and for all, I wanna, I wanna honor him fully. So we know that, that tithing exercises our faith, that tithing is an act of worship, and finally, tithing allows God to prove his faithfulness. The blessings of God. Bringing in resources to you. This is what he says. Put me to the test. This is the only time in the Bible where God says, go ahead and try. Can I tell you something? I have never met a tither that regretted it. Not one. I feel like I know thousands of people. I've never met a tither sit down with me and say, I wish I never did it. But I have met a whole lot of other people on the other side of that conversation. And let me say this, the only people, this may upset you, the, let me go back to pastor mode, the only people mad at me right now are people who don't give. <laughs> I'm just saying it, that's just the truth. It's just the truth. Check the Alabama givers today. I'm not sure if they even did. I'm done, I'm done. I try to leave it, I try to leave it. That was it, it was, it was too many, too far, just too far. Tithing is a spiritual gateway for God to enter your circumstances and place his blessing on the remaining 90%. I've heard this said my whole life, but you can never outgive God. I've heard this said my whole life, that God will bless the 90, then you could with the 100. That is an absolute, I wish I could stand up tithers in this room, and I guarantee you, Jesus, or the Bible says, he said, test me, go ahead. Go ahead, put me on the test and let me prove to you my faithfulness. And he says, I will, listen, he didn't say the bank would. He said, I'll open up the windows of heaven. He didn't say your network did it. He didn't say your family did it. He didn't say your business did it. He could use the business. He could use your family. He can use the network. But when God says, I'm gonna do it, I wanna be wherever he is doing that thing. And he said, I'll do it when you tithe. When you return the first to God, the rest becomes blessed. Now listen, I think you gotta hear this. Walmart's never offered that blessing. I've never got an email from, from Mossy Oak saying if you come in and you give 10%, the blessings of Mossy's gonna be all over you I've never, seen, I've never seen a bank say it. I've never seen a cell phone provider say it. I've never seen it, but God says it. He's like, listen, 
If you can really bite the bullet, if you can be strong enough to take that test and that step of faith to trust me with everything, he says, I will make it obvious to you that I'm responding to your obedience. In our entire marriage, my wife and I have, have, have been faithful in that. There's been times we, we had a little house that we were renting. Um, you remember that, Lena? It was, it was, I hope they're not watching. Never mind. Our landlord could be watching in Ohio. And we were, we stayed in this little house. And I remember that night, we didn't have a bed. Everything was, we lived off, just like newly couple people do, newly married people do, everything is given to you, right? That's just how it works. All your spoons, someone else had their mouth all over them. <laughs> this is how it works. Our couches, our spoons, what, I mean, toilet paper, everything was used before we got our hands on it. <laughs> and, and remember, Lena, we, we, are, we didn't have, a, our, our, our bed didn't work, right? It was like all jacked up. If somebody gave it to us, we ended up throwing it away. So our mattress was on the floor for years, right? It was a couple of years, our mattress was on the floor. And one day I woke up, it was so cold in that apartment, freezing. Remember that? I was like, I did, did, did. Lena's like, oh, the Holy Ghost is on him. I was just freezing. And, and I got up, and there was snow in the bedroom from the window. It wasn't sealed well. And I remember being discouraged, like, how embarrassing. You just got married, and this is what you're doing with your wife. You're freezing this little southern girl to death. And you know what? Right then would have been a great time to just say, we're not tithing. We need to get a better place to live. We're not tithing. We've had cars break down. We've had medical situations come up. We've had bills we need to pay. And I'm not saying that we have it all figured out, but can I tell you this? We've just never stopped. We've just never stopped. We just tend to just, we just have to trust him. And can I tell you, we're so blessed. God has been, I don't ever wanna, I would be scared to not tithe. That's the, that's the promise to God truth, isn't it, Lena? We would be, we would do whatever it takes to tithe. And I remember I was telling my son, my son's been saving up money for a dinosaur he wants to buy. And I don't know if you've been buying these, these Jurassic World dinosaurs, but they're like 50 bucks. I make him work for it. So he goes out and he'll pull a few weeds and I give him a dollar and it's taking him forever. But when I told him he had to tithe on that, he was like, what? I said, son, that's all our natural responses. We all respond initially like that. Wait, 10%? What? I told him, son, if you tithe, God is going to bless you. He says it in his word. He's still a little resistant. But I'm trying to train my children in the way they should go. I come from a tithing family. My father's mother was a tither, and I asked her one day about her mother, said her mother had to sneak and tithe on grocery money, on dimes, sneak and tithe to the house of God, because her husband wouldn't let her. Let me pause there. Men, don't make them tithe on grocery money. The whole tithe. Your home is waiting on you to loosen your grip, because if you open your hand, to what doesn't belong to you, God will put something in your, God can't put anything in with your hand closed. God is looking for a generation of people who will open their hand and say, God, here it is. I'll bring it all to you. I surrender all. Let me close with this thought. 
The Bible tells us about two individuals. I want you to listen close. One named John, another individual that is referred to as the rich young ruler. Listen close. Both of those individuals were young, probably between the ages of 17 and 21. Both were spiritually hungry. John listened, the rich young ruler kept the law. Both were successful, boats and servants and probably was a landlord, both sides. Both encountered Jesus. They had individual conversations. Both were invited to come follow me. And that's where the similarities end. Mark chapter one, verse 20, watch what John does. Jesus called to him, called them, he called them too, and immediately John, them, they, left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went with him. This is John who owns a business, left everything, left the financial security, left the financial identity, left it becoming his God and followed Jesus. The other individual, the rich young ruler, when Jesus challenges him about his finances, this is what he says, Mark chapter 10, verse 22. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away, sad, because he had great wealth. John becomes an apostle, writes portions of scripture, sees visions, and is used greatly by God at the end of his life. The longest living apostle to ever walk the earth. We hear nothing about the rich young ruler. His legacy was tarnished. He was the man that went away. John was the man that followed. The rich young ruler was the man that went away. I want you to hear me today. History lets us know that that there was a great financial crisis later on. I don't have time to get into it, but the rich young ruler lost everything. Isn't it interesting what you try to keep? If it's not God's will, you'll eventually lose. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. Jesus said this, final verse, final thoughts, final moment. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Watch what he says. You cannot serve both God and money. That's why we preach this, because money has a way to making us think that it's God. That's what we need. When God is saying to you, no, 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 I'm God. Don't you forget it. Do what you need to do to be grounded financially in God. Turning your heart over to him. Telling him that, hey, listen, this is not easy, but I'm gonna trust you and take you at your word. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today. I want you to really consider what I'm preaching. Maybe right now you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to be a giver, to once and for all say, God, I'm gonna trust you financially. I wanna encourage you, do it. Take him at his word. It's not me. You're not putting me on the, I'm not the one being quizzed today. God says, you do it and I'll show you how good I can be in return. I'll bless you. Open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I want you to go home, and I want you to really consider. If you're feeling it right now, I want you to give online at the end of service. Sit in the parking lot. Put your card number in if you have to. If you gotta go, anybody remember how to write a check? It's like, what do I do with my hands? 
But it's an act of faith. And tell God today, once and for all, I surrender all. Everything belongs to you. And if you take a few fries out of the Happy Meal, it wasn't mine in the first place. Amen, everybody. Come on, give God a big praise in the house. Will you stand with us all over the room? You don't want to be the rich young ruler who we never hear from again. You want to be the, the Apostle John whose life and legacy was part of turning the world upside down. With eyes closed all over the room, this message means nothing if you don't know Jesus Christ. In fact, there are probably people who think that if they tithe, they're saved. No. You're saved because you gave your life to Christ, surrendered once and for all. If you're in this room today, all over the room, if you don't know Jesus or you have gotten away from him, do me a favor. Do not walk out of this room without saying yes to Jesus. If you're here today, he died for you, he loves you, wants to do life with you, wants to spend eternity with you. If you're here right now, do not walk out without him. If you're here, raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor, will you pray? I've gotten away from him. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Come on, leave them up for a minute. Thank you for those hands. I see several today all over the room. People saying, I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, church. Many people saying yes to Jesus. Lives being changed. Come on. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And from this day forward, I surrender it all in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it today, put your hands together. Let heaven hear you. Now I want to pray over you that you'll be a generous church, that you won't be stingy, that you won't keep it to yourself, that God opens your hands so that you'll give up what doesn't belong to you so he can put something in it that could change your life, that could bless you and open up the windows of heaven in your life. Are you ready? In fact, let's just do that. Why don't we all put our hands out like this? As a sign, God, I'm opening my hand once and for all. I'm not gonna hold my bitterness. I'm not gonna hold my shame. I'm not gonna hold my anger. I'm not gonna hold my money. I'm gonna turn it over to you. Come on, just, just let's shut our hands and let's open them real slow. Shut our hands and open to God. This belongs to you. Our families, our children, our resources, I surrender all. Father, I pray over our church today. Pray over every person joining us in the room and online that they will be a generous person, that they will be able to stay, take the step of faith to see the faithfulness that you can provide in this season. I pray that you're going to show up and make yourself obvious. I can't wait, God, to get the emails of people saying, I tithe this week for the first time, and God begin to open up doors and opportunities and things begin to happen. This is not a magic. This is the will of God for their lives, and I pray in the name of Jesus that you do what only you can do. I pray, 
open opportunities. I pray increase in finances. I pray the blessing of God on their home. I pray, God, that their cars will last another 100,000 miles. I pray debt-free checks coming in. I pray increase coming. I pray the blessing of God from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. In Jesus' name, if you believe it today, give God a big praise.